0: What's going on, you guys? Welcome back to the Neighborhood Podcast. One half of the podcast, my name is Kyle Dabra.
1: What's going on, everybody? The other half of the podcast, Kevin Valentin. Kyle, my guy, what is going on today?
0: I'm not going to lie. It's been lit today. We got a lot of news to talk about. We got a lot of topics to hit. You ready to hit these? Oh, dude, I've been ready all day. This evening just made it that much better. Yes, sir. So first things first, we'll talk about One of the biggest trades that we've seen in the NBA offseason so far. We've got Russell Westbrook. He is traded from the Washington Wizards. He will go to the Los Angeles Lakers. It's a big trade. It involves Russell Westbrook going to LA. And in return, Kyle Kuzma, Montrezl Harrell, KCP, and a couple draft picks are going to Washington. So we'll start off the episode with that. After that, we'll stay in the NBA. There have been a lot of... Trade rumors circulating around Ben Simmons of the Philadelphia 76ers. We'll talk about some of the trade offers that we've seen from Philly and really the lack of any movement of any trade significance as far as making a deal for Simmons across the league from some of the offers that we've seen. So we'll talk about that for a little bit. And then we'll transition into Major League Baseball. We've seen some monumental trades. We'll start with the Yankees. The Yankees traded for some Big bats in the names of Joey Gallo and Anthony Rizzo. I imagine Kevin's going to have a lot to talk about that since that's his team. And then possibly even a bigger trade that just took place no more than probably a half an hour ago. We saw the Los Angeles Dodgers trade for Max Scherzer and Trey Turner. They played with the Washington Nationals. They will go out to L.A. to join up with Clayton Kershaw and the boys. The way that I see it is that that trade is pretty going to put the Dodgers at the top of the pecking order in the National League. And they have a very good shot if they play their cards right of making the World Series. But we'll get into that a little bit later in the episode. And then we'll round out the episode with some predictions for the AFC North going into the 2021 season. We mentioned the AFC (coughs) East predictions just a couple days ago. Now we'll stay within the AFC, but we'll just move to the AFC North. Got some very good teams in the Pittsburgh Steelers the Baltimore Ravens, the Browns, and the Bengals. So that should be fun to talk about. But, Kev, I'm going to let you have the floor since uh, you're going to throw that question about Russell Westbrook my way.
1: All right, everybody. We all know how I got emotions, right? We all know I'm the energetic, hot take kind of guy. Kyle, unfortunately, has calmed down significantly since the news of Russell Westbrook has become official. Kyle was very animated over the phone just a few hours ago when it was just a rumor. And granted, you see that face right there, that calm, cool, and collective individual that's there on the left side of the screen? He was not so cool, calm, and collected. So, Kyle, I got to ask you, Russell to the Lakers, how are you feeling? How, how, not, not, not how does this look in the league,
0: how are you feeling? I'm feeling okay. From a couple of hours it, ago, Kyle. let me finish from a couple of hours ago. I was livid. I was, I didn't want to hear it. I didn't want to believe it. I even texted Kevin. It was like, yo, flying out to LA. We're going to unnear this deal because Adrian <laughs> Warren was saying that they're close to nearing a deal for Russell Westbrook to the Lakers. I told Kevin, like, nope, not on my watch, not going to happen, but <laughs> I've had some time to reflect on the news, kind of just take the information. At what it is and I look at it this way I'll start with the pros first the pros are is that I believe that Russell Westbrook upgrades the point guard position from where the Lakers were last year they had Dennis Schroeder at the point guard position last year and to say that he was a disappointment is a pretty accurate statement I thought during the regular season he was okay but I thought in the playoffs he was atrocious he didn't really get anything going for the Lakers offensively, and he was kind of a up. he was kind of a liability defensively on the defensive side of the ball for the Lakers so when I look at russell Westbrook, he's a very known quantity. You know what you're gonna get from Russ the guy is a triple double machine, and I'm gonna put money on this that that pick and roll that they're gonna run with Russell Westbrook and Anthony Davis. I think it's gonna be a money connection, and I think the Lakers are gonna really make sure that they rely. On that connection being smooth throughout the entirety of the season. So, Russell is a solid point guard. He is still producing at a tremendous clip. He was really one of the reasons that Washington really made a late season push to get into the playoffs this past season alongside Bradley Beal. So, if he could continue that type of production from what he had the last two to three months in Washington. I know he didn't necessarily perform as well in the playoffs, but if he could continue what he did at the end of the regular season going with the Lakers, I think it could bode well for the Lakers. And I just think you're, you're getting a very solid veteran presence on the team. And look, Russ is one of the most electric, one of the most dynamic point guards that we've ever seen in NBA history. So I think there's a possibility of Russell paying some huge dividends for the Lakers. Now let's transition to the cons of this trade. The fact of the matter is, is that you're giving up a lot in this trade. You're giving up Montres Harrell, KCP, Kyle Kuzma, and some draft picks. And it does leave the question, where's the depth on this team after this trade? You've got LeBron James, Anthony Davis, and Russell Westbrook. They are probably going to eat up at least 80 to 85% of the salary cap for the Lakers. And, The way that I currently see this roster, they don't have a lot of depth outside of those three guys. They've got Markeith Morris. They've got Ben McLemore. They have Wesley Matthews. Now, we don't know whether or not that Andre Drummond's going to return. I highly doubt that. But when you look past those top three guys in Anthony Davis, Russell Westbrook, and LeBron James, they don't have a lot to work with. So unless they can get some veteran minimum contracts to add to bolster the back end of the roster. I kind of see this trade working out very similar to what Brooklyn did with James Harden. James Harden was that third piece to add to the roster for Brooklyn, but they had to basically give up most of, if not all of their depth from the bench to make that happen. So it is a little bit troubling to me in that sense. And not only that, Russell Westbrook, has a very high chance of turning the ball over in every single game that he plays. He had almost five turnovers a game last year with the Washington Wizards. That is not going to work. They're going to have to somehow limit him to turning the ball over that frequently. So I kind of hope that they're going to be able to work out these issues going into next season. But I like the trade simply just because it is an upgrade from Dennis Schroeder. But the fact that the matter is, is that there's some cons associated with it. The fact that the matter is, is that those three guys that I just mentioned are going to be eating up a lot of the cap for the Lakers. They are injury prone, all three of them. And I don't know how they're going to mesh. I don't know how the chemistry is going to work out because Russell Westbrook's a ball-dominant player. LeBron James is a ball-dominant player. They're going to have to figure out how it's going to work with who's going to bring the ball up for the Lakers. And those are going to be the burning questions for the Lakers in the offseason before the season starts?
1: Dude, all I know is I have the contracts pulled up here. This season, he's due $44 million in terms of Russell Westbrook. Next upcoming season, 2022, Russell is due $47 million. From an article that I read earlier this evening, the Lakers are already at $130 million in the cap that is absolutely ridiculous because the majority of the players that they have signed to their rosters in terms of like bulk sized contracts are the three players that Kyle just named in terms of Anthony Davis, LeBron James and Russell Westbrook. Absolutely insane. Like Kyle said, the depth it's going to be ridiculous. They're going to be running a really tight ship. Um the only players they're eligible for re-signing and without really breaking the cap if those players choose to re-sign in LA are going to be Alex Caruso and uh, Taylor Horton Tucker, because those are really the only players you don't really have to break your bank. I mean, Caruso played good this year, nothing crazy. You don't have to go and pay him double digits. Obviously, Taylor Horton Tucker is looking for his first official NBA contract, not a two-way deal. And, you know, Marcus saul has got $7 million on his deal left. And I'm trying to think of other players that are, like, relevant. I know Jared Dudley signed a vet minimum, maybe even less, just to come back as a body on the bench. But, The Lakers really don't have anybody. I mean, they might – I think they have Wesley Matthews too. So just – I really don't know how L.A. is going to go about doing this. I get it. I I really do. People are trying to make these super teams team up to try to win these championships. But when you have three players that eat up like 80 to 85% of your whole cap, it's kind of bad. And I'm just looking at this like what the hell is L.A. going to do down the stretch if one of them go down? God forbid, too, like that, like they happened this year. And then when you get down to the playoffs, you know, LeBron's getting up there in age. Russell's not a young buck anymore. AD's injury-prone, like Kyle had mentioned. So I'm thinking at the Lakers down the stretch at the end of the, end of the season. How are they going to combat this problem? It's not something you can avoid. It's an 82-game season. So eventually something will catch up. And then Kyle already made the point of Russell's turnover problem. He's had them since Oklahoma City. So, I don't really see the whole ball dominant thing falling apart or being an issue because Braun was able to play off the ball whenever rondo or well, whenever Rondo was in the game, and especially when he played with Kyrie. So I think Braun will kind of focus a little bit more now on scoring rather than facilitating, because everybody knows there are times when you look at LeBron James and say, "Why aren't you being aggressive?" And it's because he's being the floor general. He's being the person on the floor that distributes the basketball granted it's nice to have two of them on the floor at the same time but with both of their egos who's to say late game shot selection might be a little bit of an issue so that is you know yet to be seen obviously the head coaching of frank vogel will probably be uh, on the hot seat to start the season because you're going to have the hothead in russell westbrook the king in lebron james and the injury prone superstar that is anthony davis so it's going to be an interesting season for the lakers it's just I don't think this makes them better. I think this definitely does make them worse. People are already saying on Twitter, in Kyle's group chats and in my group chats, now the Nets and the, and the Lakers are pretty much the exact same. I don't see them not meeting within the finals next season if they're all healthy. So could it happen? Possibly. Will it happen? I don't believe so. I don't think they can overcome it. I mean, we all saw what happened in the uh, the uh, semifinals with Brooklyn and Milwaukee. KD had to play 53 minutes. Harden had to play 53 minutes. If Kyrie was there, he would have probably had to pay 53 minutes. Like, is it really going to make a difference at the end of the day? If, unless you have some depth, probably not. But, I mean, we'll see what happens, man. The the, the trade is huge. It's definitely the biggest trade of the offseason thus far. It's just beginning. Obviously, the NBA draft is currently ongoing, so there could be more news before the night is over. But this definitely isn't the only trade rumor or news that has circled within the NBA. Kyle, over the last couple of days, the 76ers have tried to offload Ben Simmons and his contract to a, a number of teams. But at the same time, all of their offers or all of their requests in return for Ben have been... What's a word I'm looking for to put this? I, they're, they're fucking stupid. I can't put that nicely. They, like the, the the Sixers are asking for like basically an entire starting five and then they want draft picks. So... I'm not understanding why an NBA team would basically give their roster up and their future for a a player that can't shoot. Ben Simmons is not a bum. Ben Simmons is an all-star. Ben Simmons is a stellar defensive player, a good facilitator. But when you play the guard position, even if you're 6'11", 6'10", whatever his official height is, with your inability to shoot, you hinder an offense's capabilities at a half court capacity. Running the fast break is not an issue. When you have your back to the basket on a smaller mismatch, which 90% of the time you do because there aren't many guards that are taller than 6'6", you have an advantage. But free throw line, late game scenario, and wide open jump shots, you are just incapable. So I don't know why Philly thinks they're going to get a boatload for him. I mean, I have an example here of a trade that was requested, I believe, earlier today for the Golden State Warriors. The 76ers asked the Warriors for Wiggins. Wiseman, the number 7 and number 14 overall picks and two future first round picks for Ben Simmons. Yep. So Kyle, I'm just going to pivot to you because I'm I'm getting antsy and agitated because if I'm a GM, I'm not only laughing, I'm hanging up. So what are your thoughts on these astronomical trade requests because I know we have another one that you have pinned on your screen.
0: Oh yeah. I've got a couple of them here. Um it really just goes to show that teams are just not biting on Ben Simmons because they just can't rely on his shooting. And that's been the biggest issue that we've seen from Ben, not only this past season, but in prior seasons, is that the guy is just not a confident shooter. And look, in the game of basketball, you had to be able to score, at least at somewhat at a competent level. And, you know, Ben can play solid defense. He was up for defensive player of the year this year. So, I mean, he's not a scrub all the way around. His all-around game is solid. It's just offensively, he's so inept that teams are just not willing to bite because it's going to be a project to work on his shooting abilities because they're just not there. I mean, I'll pull up some of these trade offers that I have listed here. So you mentioned the one with the Warriors. I've got another one here. The Sixers asked the San Antonio Spurs for four first round picks, three first round pick swaps, and a young player in exchange for Ben Simmons. This was reported by the ringer. Just like a day or two. Seven picks? Seven picks. Absolutely ridiculous. Not only that, the Toronto Raptors rejected a Sixers offer asking for Kyle Lowry, Fred Van Fleet, OG and Newby, and the fourth round, excuse me, the fourth pick in tonight's NBA draft that would have been for Simmons. Obviously, Toronto was smart in that decision to not trade for Ben Simmons. And I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. Ben is too risky of a player to trade for simply because you just don't know what you're going to get from him as far as the offensive side of his game goes. And at the end of the game, he's essentially useless because he's so bad from the free throw line. Kev, he was 25 of 73 from the free throw line in the playoffs. The two rounds of the playoffs that the Sixers played in this past postseason. 34% from the free throw line. It is the worst Postseason season free throw shooting performance in NBA history. We're talking about guys who can't shoot free throws like Shaquille O'Neal. Even Giannis this past postseason is not the greatest free throw shooter. But even he had a higher free throw percentage than Ben Simmons. And Ben Simmons is one of the highest paid players in the league to essentially put up single-digit performances in the playoffs. It's inexcusable. This is on Ben, and to a certain extent, this is on Philly's front office. Philly had a I chance. Was just about to say the same thing. Philly had an opportunity to go get James Harden last year, but they didn't want to give up Ben. If James Harden was on the Sixers for last season, there's a very good chance that they stroll to the finals, because when you add an explosive piece like that to an already solid Philly team, it's going to catapult them to the top of the Eastern Conference, without a question. But they missed their opportunity. So now they're left in a situation where they're trying to trade Ben. They have nobody to trade for him because nobody's going to take Ben after that performance in the playoffs last year. The best Not for to- those requests. No way. So Philly's going to have to bite the bullet here. They had their chance, and they let it go. And now they're kind of essentially reaping the consequences of not – pulling the trigger last year when they had a chance to go get James Harden and all they would have had to give up was Ben Simmons and maybe some other players and maybe some draft picks along the way as well. But they missed their chance. This is on Philly and Ben to a certain extent because Ben is just not able to improve his offensive game whatsoever. So my
1: thing is with this whole Ben Simmons concept, and Kyle, I know we talked about this off air before, but I know you're going to agree with me here. This is on the 76ers organization's fault, not only because of their failure to pull the trigger last season for James, but their inability to properly handle Ben Simmons' attitude. So there are multiple reports that have shown since high school, everybody in Ben Simmons' circle has kind of coddled him, has babied him, has told him, you're good at what you do, you're the best, you're going to be okay, don't worry about it, you're going to be great, you're great at what you do. And Philadelphia kind of not only enhanced that, but they spoiled him to a point where he felt like he did not have to make improvements to his game. Granted, there were videos last offseason and the offseason before of Ben running five on fives, uh, you know, like those hoodie mellow videos of him at the summit of, you know, post fadeaways, open three jump shots. But it wasn't something he was religiously putting in effort like you see people doing on those one-on-one training sessions like Julius Randall with like C. Brickley, that, that NBA trainer that kind of goes around and trains the athletes. The point I'm getting at is when you spoil an athlete's mentality at such a young age and you make them feel like they don't need to do anything because they're as good as they already are, you're capping their ceiling. They're not going to improve because they feel like they're already the best. Yeah. No matter what the outcome of the season is, they're like, it ain't my fault. I did my thing. I did my job. That's like basically telling a toddler, you don't have to grow up. Just continue to act the way that you're acting because you're the perfect child. And they're going to act like they're six years old until they're in their mid-20s.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's not realistic. It's not It's not feasible, whether in life or in sports. You, you can't have a 20-something-year-old guy coming into the locker room or coming into the facility saying, well, I'm the best player on this team, which we all know is already not true because Joel Embiid's the number one option on the team, and everybody knows that. But – to basically just look at a man that can't shoot free throws, can't be in the game late in situations, nor can he even take an open mid-range jump shot. I'm not even saying a three. Just a jump shot in general. You won't see him do it. Mm-hmm. So Philadelphia is 100% at fault here for not only coddling, but not trying to improve this man's game. And the second the series ended against Milwaukee, you knew, or excuse me, against Atlanta, you knew this wasn't going anywhere. This wasn't going anywhere good, mm-hmm. should I say. Yep. So with... Philly kind of just basically shooting for the stars. I was actually laughing about it earlier. I was telling Kyle, it's like when you tell a kid to aim for an A or to aim for the Dean's list and he gets like right under it, you tell him a good job because he tried really hard. The Sixers are like shooting for the fucking moon. And if they fall somewhere in the atmosphere, they're going to be happy. The fact, I didn't even know about the Spurs report. Seven first round picks. Are you out of your mind? When Paul George got the amount of picks he did from L.A., when he left OKC, I thought that was crazy. Well, Paul George is a two-way player. Paul George can shoot very effectively. I mean, his free throw percentage was a little bit in question this postseason with the amount he's missed in clutch situations. But still, over a double percentage of the amount that Ben Simmons will ever see in his career. So Paul George getting the picks that he did was a little bit of a stretch. You think you're going to get seven for this guy? I think Philly's asking for way too much, and I think Philly needs to wake up and realize if they get maybe two first-round picks, count their blessings. And if they do trade him, it isn't going to be to a contender because I sure as shit don't see anybody in the Western or Eastern Conference that's flirting within the top eight or nine seeds to give up their boatload or their future for a man that can't do anything right now. And it already has a tainted attitude, but that's neither here nor there. I'm literally going to drop this because this whole concept is kind of ridiculous.
0: I mean, not only that, I mean there were some teams that were interested just a couple days ago at the the Cleveland Cavaliers. And I imagine they probably heard some offer. I don't have the offer that Philly gave to Cleveland on the top of my hand here, but Cleveland decided to go with Ricky Rubio in a trade with the Timberwolves. So that's hilarious. Who exactly? Yeah, I know that was Kevin and I do this thing where we send each other uh, direct messages on Twitter, which is kind of like, Updated news all throughout the sports world. Kevin sends me the the link of the I think it was a Bleacher Report link of the Minnesota the Minnesota Timberwolves trading Rick, Ricky Rubio to Cleveland, and I respond with Ho, ho! <laughs> it's a little bit disrespectful. Shout to out to Ricky the Rubio. broadcast boys on Twitter. <laughs> oh no,
1: take time, man. The broadcast boys is funny. If y'all don't follow them, you got to give them a follow. They're great.
0: I, I mean, I, I don't want to be too disrespectful to, to Ricky Rubio. I mean, the guy's a solid NBA player, but I thought it was just funny to throw out a hoe there.
1: Well, I mean, just, just to pivot on that, I mean, Colin Sexton is definitely out. He's been on the trade block for a little bit now. So, I mean, that's another topic topic for another day because we have no rumor as to where he's going to go other than New York in terms of the Knicks showing interest in him. But that's about all we have on that front. So,
0: I'll, just, I'll never forget when Colin Sexton was at like his introductory press conference with the Cleveland Cavaliers. And that was the offseason that LeBron ended up leaving Cleveland to, go to, to, to the Lakers. And I just remember Colin was sitting there. It, it just young kid said, just really wanted the opportunity to, to go and play with LeBron. And then LeBron says, deuces, I'm, gone. I'm going. I'm, go,
1: I'm, I'm going to go. I'm going to go film a shitty movie. But
0: whatever. Yeah, but just
1: that's <laughs> um, what it is. Th- guys, this is where the episode kind of takes off.
0: The NBA wasn't the
1: only trade-happy day or trade-happy sport today. The MLB absolutely erupted in the last 24 hours in terms of not just for my Yankees, but the LA Dodgers and a a litany of other teams. But we're just going to solely focus on the two trades that we had mentioned in the agenda, or should I say three trades, but two of them for the same team.
0: Kevin, Um, you got to let me have this one. you got to let me have this one.
1: Okay, 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 okay,
0: okay. I know you're excited. This is your okay, team. Okay,
1: okay, I'm sorry. I, I get antsy. I get antsy. I'm this sorry. is your
0: this is your team. Okay, okay, so we'll start with the first one. We'll start with the first trade. Excuse me, the first <laughs> trades that took place. So the New York Yankees have officially traded for Joey Gallo and Anthony Rizzo. These are big bats, yes. and yes, it had been reported that the Yankees were buyers going into this trade deadline, and goodness gracious, they went out and got some hitters. So Kev. Not only did you guys get Joey Gallo, you guys were able to add Anthony Rizzo to the team as well. Definitely bolstering the team's lineup as as far as the starting lineup goes. I just need to get your opinion on this. How do you feel about the Yankees' current situation after these trades have taken place? I'm
1: hyped. I'm not going to sit here and say I'm not. You know what I'm saying? I'm definitely excited for the ability that we're going to have now to have Not one, but two powerful lefties in the short porch that Yankee Field has in right. So um, I'm I'm dumb hyped about that. Um, What gets me more excited is the fact that we did not give up all of our top prospects. After the Gallo trade, we still had all 10 of our top 10 prospects in our farm system. After today, um, I believe that we traded one or two. I could be mistaken. I, I know that the majority of this list is kind of crazy. But I'm, I'm pretty sure one of them was in the trade for Anthony Rizzo. Um, but as a whole, the fact that Brian Cashner was able to package a couple of players, package a deal to get two big bats and not just bats, but two lefty bats. As everybody knows, the majority of the Yankees roster is right handed. So this is huge. Um, this is a really big positive swing for us. This is something that we needed, uh, an offensive jolt, offensive consistency. As we know, Stanton hasn't been performing. Judge has been on and off the IL due to rest and injury. Um, and you know, Luke Voigt has been off of the, uh, on and off of the IL with the litany of injuries as well. So, I mean, the, the roster has been up and down, so to speak. I mean, today we lost 14 to nothing. So, I mean, if at any point in time, Brian Cashman was looking at, damn, Gallo's not enough. This was something that we definitely needed. And Anthony Rizzo is a great first baseman, a great glove. So we not only get power from the left side, but we also do get a great fielding gold glove first baseman because we do know that Gleyber Torres has struggled from the shortstop position since the transition uh, after Didi Gregorius left. So the Yankees look good on paper, but I've told Kyle this a a multitude of times. On paper, the Yankees look like they're unbeatable because you look at a lineup with DJ LeMahieu. Aaron Judge, John Carlos Stanton, Gary Sanchez, Luke Voigt, you know what I'm saying? You think, damn, they go hit like full 500 home runs. I know that's not a realistic number. I'm just saying in general, like you just see power on the lineup. Now you go and add the big body of Rizzo. You go and add the big bat that is Joey Gallo. And you say, holy shit, the Yankees are about to pop off, right? Here's where the actual realistic portion of my opinion comes into play. The Yankees lineup was already pretty much a swing and a miss lineup as it is. It's a home run or a strikeout, and it just – it furthered that. And I think Cashman kind of saw it as all of them can't be in a slump at the same time. Um, one of them has to get it going, whether that's Judge coming off of the COVID list, whether that's Rizzo getting out of Chicago, whether that's Gallo getting away from Texas. You know, all of the, – there's no way that six out of our nine batters are all going to be in a slump. Gio Rochella is finding his groove. Brett Gardner is finding a little bit of his as well. And we have a number of players that have come up from AAA and played good. So the Yankees are two and a half games out of the wild card to, uh, as of today after this embarrassing loss of the Rays. We were able to take two out of three, so we won the series. But these two acquisitions, as well as keeping our farm system together, is massive. And there was a tweet that showed from Cashman that said, we aren't done yet. Take what you want from that or take that away as, as whatever as you want. In my opinion, what we need to do is take Voigt. Unfortunately, since we acquired Rizzo, I do see Luke Voigt hitting the trade block immediately and utilizing him to go and acquire a starting pitcher. So I say we, we, we package Voigt with a couple more prospects. Maybe even we crack into our, our top 10 a little bit more, maybe give up one or two more to go after Barrios out of Minnesota. Uh, a good starting pitcher with good movement pitches, good off speed, and, you know, a mid-to-high-level fastball. Uh, I think that would solidify the rotation with Corey Kluber coming back, Luis Severino progressing in rehab. And I think that going into the postseason with about 60 games left, we can really make a playoff push to go out there and make some noise. So, again, as a Yankee fan, realistically, I'm excited for the potential that the team has. But I do see the weaknesses that this trade could give us because you go and add two more power bats. There's not they're not really known for their contact. When do you hear? A a, a power batter like Gallo or Rizzo, you know, hitting for the cycle or, you know, going three for five with three singles. It's usually one of them has a home run and a double or, you know, like a home run and a couple of doubles. You know what I'm saying? So we'll see what happens. But I think we're in a better position than we were. I think we got better. And the greatest part about the Rizzo deal, I'm sorry, I forgot to mention the Cubs eat the rest of the salary. So Rizzo is a free agent after the end of this season. So we literally are renting him for the remainder of the year. We're not paying him at all. So I think this is a win, 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 win category in the Rizzo deal. And then Gallo, we gave up about four prospects. So, I mean, at the end of the day, those four prospects didn't crack our top 10. So we, in essence, got uh, Joey Gallo for a good deal as well. And I'm pretty sure Joey Gallo is a free agent in this season as well. He's only going to eat up 2.4 million of our cap, which is nothing compared to what we could have Acquired if we would have went after Trey Turner or, uh, or, or Trevor Story. So, again, happy, satisfied. If Cashman pulls off another miracle, I ain't going to be upset.
0: Yeah, I mean, the way that I see it, it definitely bolsters the starting lineup as far as their hitters go. Now, to kind of hit off the point that you made about these guys literally being like swing or miss type players. That's what freaking Joey Gallo is. I mean, I've got his stats pulled up right here. He's only played 95 games this season. Still leaves about 65 games to go. 65, 70, somewhere around there. He already has 125 strikeouts on the season. And despite the fact that he does have 25 home runs, he's batting 223. So that's like Gary Sanchez type numbers, my guy. And you, you have given many rants about how Sanchez has been just one of the most despised players that you've ever seen in your life. But, but but, I think the Anthony Rizzo one is kind of a better move as far as the hitters go, because he is a more consistent hitter. I think he's batting somewhere in around 250, 255 this season. And he has under a hundred strikeouts on the season. I believe he only has like 50 or 60 strikeouts throughout the entirety of the season. So I do think that out of the two players, I think that Anthony Rizzo is going to be a far more reliable hitter for the Yankees moving forward for the rest of the season compared to Joey Gallo. I think think Joey's definitely going to provide some fireworks for the the Yankees simply just because the guy is a home run threat as soon as he gets to the plate. But the strikeouts are going to be a big issue moving forward with the Yankees and the Yankees. I think they know that. I think they fully expect it. But I think it was still a trade to make here simply just because, Kev, I mean, they just can't get it together this season. They've been so inconsistent, they, they'll they go on either these decent stretches where they look great, they look like a playoff-contending team, and then it's followed up by just stretches of ineptitude. I mean, I don't really want to pull a comparison here, but it's like the Yankees kind of somewhat feel like the Dallas Cowboys here simply just because they just can't get it right. They just can't be consistent. Their pitching would look great for a month or two, then it falls off, and then the hitting goes off. It's just they can't get those two to mesh at the same time where the pitching is on point and the hitting is on point. And until that, they can correct those issues moving forward, I mean, even if they make the playoffs, I think they have still a decent shot to make the playoffs as a wild card team. But I just don't see this team getting over the hump over top contending teams like the Red Sox like the Astros. Those are going to be teams that you're going to have to compete with when it comes to the postseason. And I do think that these moves definitely help push the Yankees to be more competitive against those teams. But they just have to get it together where both the hitting portion of the team and the pitching portion of the team come together and just go on a monumental run to close out the season. I feel like this is a moment where they understand the urgency of where this season is going. I think Cashman made the right moves, the moves that he had to make. Now it's on the players. The players have to step up and they've got what? Two months to get it done here. Season ends at the end of September. So they're going to have to make a monumental push here to be a competitive team in the AL as far as I'm concerned. So I, I will give them an A for effort. It's just now, when it comes out to the field, they have to produce. They have to produce. That's the main thing that I'm focused on here. The names are great. On paper, they look great. These guys have to produce, though, and that's really the point that I want to hone in on. That's what I meant saying A for effort, but it's like when it comes to execution, now these guys have to actually produce. That's what I really am focusing on here.
1: I mean, like not to sound rude, but no shit. You know what I'm saying? Like we're not going to trade for somebody we don't expect to, you know, perform. We, we, we hope for them to be successful in the position that we put them in and the team as a whole is struggling offensively. So they know that they're coming in for an offensive improvement. Um, the thing I want to touch on on Joey Gallo that I forgot is people sleep on his defensive capabilities out in the infield, or excuse me, out in the outfield and Joey can play first, third, left, center, or right field. So he can be a very good utility player, especially with the injuries that we've been having lately. And if we do decide to keep Luke Voit for whatever reason and rotate him and Stanton in the DH position because Stanton has been having a lot of inconsistencies at the plate, then so be it. Um, but I do want to touch that Gallo defensively is a very, very good asset to have, and people sleep on his outfield ability as well. So he does give us some depth out there. And Anthony Rizzo was a gold, gold, player, gold glove player at first base. So that's an immediate improvement. Even if Anthony doesn't do it at the plate as often, the fact that he can field some bad throws and and make some plays out in the dirt and in the field makes me feel more comfortable in our infield security and defense. So we are making improvements on multiple assets, and I do respect Cashman for the offensive improvement that he was chasing, but I don't think people realize the defensive intensity that's going to be able to step up because of this addition in these two players. So I do look for them to produce at the plate, but. When they're in the field, I wouldn't be surprised if they were out there making big plays because they can. So I'm excited. 60 games left. Like Kyle said, two months left in the season. Let's see if we make this push. I'm not saying we're going to win the World Series. I'm not saying we're going to make the ALCS, but I think we're in a better position to contend than we were earlier this week. Mm -hmm. And speaking of contending, the fucking Dodgers just – they're not just contending. They said, "Yo, we're going back to back. The addition of 37-year-old all-star pitcher Max Scherzer now being in L.A., along with one of the best hitters in baseball in Trey Turner, are now headed to L.A. Kyle, what the hell does this mean for an already stacked L.A. team? And there being 60 games left, does this solidify them as the best team in baseball?
0: The way that I see it, yes, it does. Simply because... You're talking about an all-star lineup here. I mean, you had Mookie Betts, you had Clayton Kershaw, you had Trevor Bauer, despite all the domestic abuse situations or violence situations that he's currently dealing with. And now you add Max Scherzer and Trey Turner to the team. The Padres got to be pissed because there were reports earlier this afternoon or hours ago that there was a major, major push for the Padres to go get Max Scherzer. And then I believe Jeff Passan was the one that reported that LA was making significant progress on not only adding Max Scherzer, but Trey Turner as well. So you add to your starting rotation and you improve to a lineup that is already dynamic. Just to kind of focus on Trey Turner, since I'll start with the, the hitting portion of the trade with, with him Trey Turner is batting 322 this season. And granted, you know, he's not the biggest home run hitter, 18 home runs, 49 RBIs. But he's he's consistent. And he normally leads off though, doesn't he? I believe so. So, the way that I currently see it with Trey Turner is he's going to add to an already stacked offensive lineup for the Dodgers. And with Max Scherzer, look, Scherzer's been around the block for over a decade in the major, in major leagues. So I may almost kind of see that as kind of like an insurance policy, just because look, you already have Clayton Kershaw. You have Trevor Bauer. Your top three guys are Scherzer, Bauer, and Kershaw. That is a deadly trio. And when it comes to the playoffs, that's going to be a nightmare scenario for opposing teams to contend with. So, all in all, just this is a fantastic trade for the Dodgers. The fact that they were able to pull this later—I mean, at the end of the day, when it looked like the Padres were really making some big progress with getting Scherzer to San Diego, man, I, I imagine San Diego's got to be really feeling some type of way about this. And the fact that he got traded to a divisional rival in the Dodgers—it's got to leave—it's got to leave a little sting. If you're San Diego, but yeah, I think this catapults the Dodgers to the top of the NL. I mean, how else would? How else would it? Dude, I'm I'm sitting here just looking at this man's stats. He's got
1: 142 strikeouts on the season. He's seven and four with a 2.83 ERA. By the way, guys, randomly, fun fact: I did guess his ERA randomly without looking. Take it for what you want. Randomly, Kyle knows for whatever reason with numbers and statistics, either it sticks or I'm in the ballpark. I guessed 2.84. It is 2.83. Again, take, with, take that away with whatever it is. I just had to put that out there. But the fact that this man, the psycho, whatever nickname you want to call him, mm-hmm. is now added to already deep L.A. rotation is just – it's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. The man will throw a complete game, and his arm will fall off, and he gives no fucks. There have been multitudes of games where the Nationals manager will come out and say, all right, it's time to hang it up. And he's verbally and visibly saying, get back in the dugout. I'm finishing this game. He's prideful. He's dedicated to his craft. And he's an old-fashioned baseball player where he just, bro, he'll throw down. Like Max Scherzer is one of those players that's very gritty and emotional. So please, he adds that that, that next-level layer of intensity on that pitching staff. And man, if Trevor Bauer does come back despite the legal issues that he's going through right now, that three headed monster of Kershaw, Scherzer, and Bauer is gonna be one hell of a postseason rotation. Let me tell you. Because all of them can go the distance, all of them can strike out, and all of them know their assignments. They know how to pitch into the ground ball, they know how to they know their assignments in terms of pitching around strong hitters, they know how to get the ball and playing out. They're just very aware. And that is very hard to find in three pitchers in this generation. So, God, Lord knows the Dodgers are going to now look at the rest of this season and say, if we don't win the NL bare minimum, this season was an an immense failure. Obviously, the goal for everybody is to win a World Series. But with the Padres and Dodgers kind of going back and forth, and then especially with the San Francisco Giants kind of being up there as well, that division is very stacked in the NL West. This immediately, to me, puts them in the... Uh, not only NL West favorite to win the division, but my favorite to come out of the NL, and then that that addition of Trey Turner to already to an already stacked offensive lineup that has Albert Pujols, Mookie Betts, Corey Seager, and now you add Trey Turner, one of the best hitters in the National League. That's just four players out of nine in a rotation, and, and, and oh my god, and Justin Turner at third base. Holy shit, the Dodgers are looking like the Yankees in like 2009, where they're just they're just stacking all stars left and right. And they give no fucks if they break the salary cap because they're just here and they say, yo, we about to win and we don't care how it's done. But that Mm -hmm. news, like Kyle said, that that surfaced. Dude, the the Padres were about to get him. The Padres literally about to snag Scherzer right from the Nationals. And I mean, from from left field, Jeff Passan comes out with this report that says the Dodgers have now entered the room. 20 minutes later, the Dodgers are now in heavy pursuit of Max Scherzer. An hour later... The Dodgers are in serious talks to acquire Max Scherzer and Trey Turner. Like, bro, I give it to the Dodgers' GM. He got one of the best hitters and one of the best pitchers in the National League in one shot without giving up any big players on the active roster. Bro, they gave up a massive haul of prospects, including the Dodgers' number one overall pitching prospect that was just called up. Shout out to Gray, Josiah Gray. He's actually from New Rochelle, New York. I went to high school out there, so kudos to the boy. But he actually literally just got called up a couple of days ago, and it was pretty cool. Drafted in 2018, already made it to the majors at the age of 23. So big kudos to him going out there to Washington. Hopefully he has a big role out there. Hopefully he makes a stand and, you know, makes some noise. Uh, But overall, man, baseball today was wild. Sports today was just crazy with these trades alone.
0: I will say this. and I do think this is a point worth mentioning. I think the Dodgers made this as an insurance policy move because I don't think they're going to expect Trevor Bauer coming back this season. I just don't see it with all of the legal issues that he's currently dealing with. And there are reports from within the team that they never want to see Trevor Bauer on the team again. That, that really, yeah. I've got a New York post article pulled up right here is Dodgers players never want to see Trevor Bauer again. So I think when I look at the situation that led to the deal of, Max Scherzer and Trey Turner going to L.A. I think L.A.'s front office was thinking, well, I don't think Trevor Bauer is going to be able to come back this season with all of the legal issues that are going on. The fact of the matter is, is you've got players internally saying that they, they have some disagreements or they have some issues with Trevor Bauer's character. So I think this was, this was largely in part as an insurance policy move to bring in a guy like Max Scherzer to the team, just because, I don't think Trevor's coming back. So good on LA, though. The fact that you were able to pull this at the last minute to snatch Scherzer away from the Padres, that's sensational from their front office. So you have to give LA a lot of credit for that. And it's like you already mentioned, it catapults that team to the top of the National League and all of baseball to boot. Like, I fear any team that has to go up against the Dodgers because. They're just stacked. How are you going to be able to combat against a one-two punch in Clayton Kershaw, Max Scherzer, in a lineup that's going to consist of Mookie Best, Justin Turner, and now Trey Turner? Good luck. That's all I got to say.
1: Yeah, no. Baseball's
0: wild. I'm happy that we're getting to the end of the
1: season, or should I say, you know, the latter half of the second half. And this is where it's going to start to pick up. Meaningful baseball is going to be played now. Everybody says baseball's too long or the season is dragged out, or, you know, 162 games isn't necessary. All right, cool. we got about 60 games left, and a lot of people are going to need every single game here because there are a lot of implications with this extended wild card format that people can make the playoffs with the amount of games that are left and the amount of uh, games that they have to overcome from the playoff separation in, in terms of deficit. So I'm curious to see how this pans out for the rest of the league, and I could not be more excited that the Yankees at least were buyers and like I said earlier, if Cashman continues to go out there and, you know, make another deal or make a couple more deals, whether that's for bullpen pitching or um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, or starting pitching, then so be it. Again, we do have Kluber coming back. We do have Severino coming back. So I do not know what's going to happen. We obviously know that Luke Void is going to come off the aisle within the next week or so. So we could package him to get up out of here and, you know, bring somebody else in. But, again – the trade deadline is tomorrow, so we will end up seeing what happens in the MLB. I'm pretty sure before tonight's over, we'll see some more deals, especially when we wake up tomorrow. We're probably going to read even more. So that's the best part about sports. The trade deadline in all sports are pretty much my favorite time of the year because there are names that get plummeted and sent out when you don't even expect it. Um, I mean, Shit, I definitely did not see Max Scherzer leaving Washington after his World Series dom- his dominant World Series run two years ago. But what are you going to do? Washington's at the bottom of the barrel in the NL East, and... They said, screw it, we're not going to pay the rest of this contract, and we're, we will rebuild. But we will now pivot to our NFL segment. We are going to talk about the AFC North. Last week we talked about, or excuse me, earlier this week we talked about the AFC East, and we made our predictions there. So today Kyle and I are going to talk about the AFC North, which consists of the defending division champion Pittsburgh Steelers, the Cleveland Browns, the Baltimore excuse me the Baltimore I I was right the Baltimore Ravens mm-hmm. and the Cincinnati Bengals. So with there being a 17 game season this year, Kyle your initial order without even thinking of who's going to win the division and the proceedings afterwards.
0: I've got Baltimore winning the division. I believe they'll go 13 and 3, maybe 12 and 5. I've got You said 13 and 3. You mean 13 and 4? 13 and 4, excuse me. Thank you. It's a 17-game season, not a 16-game season. I still have to get that through my head. I'm going to have... Me too. You're not alone. That second spot is going to be an interesting one. I'm going to pick the Cleveland Browns. I think they're going to squeak in that second spot. I think Pittsburgh finishes at three, and I think Cincinnati rounds it out at four. I'll start at the top with the Ravens. I still think the Ravens are the best team in the division, despite the fact that the Steelers did win the division last year at 12-4. and four. I just see the Baltimore Ravens as a better team simply because I think Lamar Jackson is going to have a better year than he did last year. Last year was kind of a struggle for him. There were some issues early on in the season just with the continuity that they were able to establish as far as play calling goes. And Lamar Jackson was visibly and verbally frustrated that defenses were basically telling him, we know what you're running. So do your best, but we know you're going to, we could stop you better than we did the year prior when he just slaughtered the league by himself. I think that Baltimore is going to make adjustments offensively because of that. So I'd still expect Lamar to use his feet very well outside of the pocket. He's definitely going to make some highlight plays throughout the season. I think JK Dobbins is going to be set up for a massive year this year. I'm definitely expecting him to get a massive share of the carries moving forward with Baltimore. I think he might get over a thousand. I think, By and large, I think he's going to get over 1,000 yards this season. With the way that Baltimore loves to run the ball, I expect nothing more than 1,000 yards from J.K. Dobbins this year. And I think that connection between Lamar Jackson and Mark Andrews is going to be solid. So I don't know how it is going to be with the wide receivers and Lamar Jackson that's kind of been the issue. They haven't really been able to connect as much as they would like to. So maybe there's some improvement on that side of the ball on the offense for Baltimore, but... I think by and large, I still see the Ravens as the top team in the division. I think Cleveland is going to have to really battle it out with Pittsburgh for that two spot. I'm just betting a little bit more on Baker here than I do with Ben. I think Baker had a pretty solid year last year. Still has some turnover issues. Still has some inaccuracy issues to deal with. But I like the general direction of where the the Browns are going. This is not the Browns from 10, 15 years ago where they were undoubtedly one of the worst franchises in the NFL this is a brand new team they have a very good culture and I think as long as they're able to continue the success that they had last year I think they're set up for a solid playoff run this year they had a huge playoff performance against the Steelers last year on the road I think they won like 48 to 37 in that wild card matchup against the Steelers last year so I could definitely expect another divisional round appearance for the Browns I don't know if they're gonna get all the way to the AFC championship that's it's a bit of a stretch in my opinion, but I think this team is definitely worthy of possibly getting to the AFC divisional round this year. The Steelers, it's like I said, they're going to be in that battle with Cleveland for that two spot. I think this is Big Ben's last year as a Steeler. I mean, it, it looked like at the end of the playoffs last year when they lost in that wild card round to the Browns, I thought he was done there. It looked like he just didn't have it anymore. He he was very emotional on the sideline. It seemed like he was hanging it up, but he's coming back for one more year. I think defensively, this team is still going to be pretty solid. It's just they can't have that performance like they did in the Browns carry throughout the rest of the season. So giving up 48 points on your home turf in a playoff environment, you can't have that. You can't have that linger into this season. So I expect Mike Tomlin to get the best out of these players here. So that goes without saying. But I think they're going to be a little bit worse off than they were last year they had a fantastic start Went, I believe 11 and 0 last year and then they lost four out of their last five games so they can't have a repeat of that end of season disaster that they had going into this season and then to kind of round out the division I've got Cincinnati finishing in last place simply just because I think this is another year where you're good you're going to see Joe Burrow develop they have to protect him more this season than they did last season 32 sacks in only 10 games, and you lose Burrow due due to a torn ACL, a torn MCL, and a bunch of other ligament damage in his knee in his first season as your franchise quarterback. That is your franchise, and you have to protect him. Kevin could tell you all about when it comes to protecting Hall of Fame potential quarterbacks. So... Really, the main focus with Cincinnati this year is to protect your most vital asset in Joey Burrow. If you're able to do that, you've got a shot. Despite the fact that Joe Burrow only played 10 games last year, he was 65% as far as his accuracy goes. He completed 65%. He had, I believe, 13 touchdowns to five interceptions and also had some rushing touchdowns as well. So if they're able to protect him a little bit better than than they did last season, I think they could definitely maybe get to maybe a 500 record at best. I think the best that they'll probably go is maybe six and 11, maybe seven and 10. If they get anything above that, then I think they've really gone like a far, they've gone above and beyond in that respect. But I still think that Cincinnati has a way to go as far as I'm concerned.
1: I mean, I'm literally just going to roll out here and just put out two names for each team that are going
0: to be pivotal in their
1: success. Starting at the top, I agree with Kyle's predictions first and foremost, let that be known. Um, I'm going with, Lamar Jackson and Marlon Humphreys for the Baltimore Ravens. Lamar's got to step it up, and he's either got to make adjustments to realize I can't run every play, and I got to become a pocket passer, or at least a better pocket passer. And Marlon Humphreys has got to lock it down. Uh, We all know that he's become pretty much the Charles Tillman of the league. He's really well known for his punch-out force fumble method that he has and has been very effective in this league. But he's an anchor on this defense, and when he's successful and Marcus Peters is successful on the other end, we know that the Baltimore Ravens as a whole – can be successful as a unit. They did lose Matt Judon to the uh, the New England Patriots, but they still have Calais Campbell and a litany of other pass rushers that can make a difference in the league. So Baltimore, again, in my aspect, they diff- they're they going to live and die with Lamar. And on the defensive end, Marlon's going to need to step it up and be a little bit more consistent. For the Cleveland Browns, it's going to be Baker Mayfield and Miles Garrett Obviously, we know that Baker Mayfield had a phenomenal season and a great way to end it out going into the divisional. They were a couple of minutes away from maybe surprising and stunning the Kansas City Chiefs, but they fell a little bit short. I know that people are probably going to look at me sideways and say, how do you not put Nick Chubb in there? Listen, when the quarterback has the ball, every single play, even if it's a handoff, you have to realize that he is the X factor every single week. Baker had one good year aside from his rookie year, and he needs to see if he can recreate that year once again. Odell Beckham Jr. is coming back from the ACL injury. He has not been put on the pup list, so it's looking like he's going to play within the first week. I've heard no rumors to say that he has any setbacks in camp, and he looks ready to go. On the defensive end, the Cleveland Browns showed out a lot of people or proved a lot of people wrong. That that defense can play great and step up. Obviously, the uh, the, the list of Denzel Ward, Miles Garrett, and all the rest of those boys out there, Uh, They can make some noise. Miles Garrett's probably one of the best, if not the best, edge rusher in the NFL just because of his size, athleticism, and speed. Don't even get me started on the man's strength. Um, He is probably going to be the X Factor every week for the Browns. He's got to get pressure on the quarterback. He's got to lead that defense, and he's got to find ways to uh, make game-changing plays. I know that's sometimes a little bit harder for a defensive end. It's always going to be double-team, but, I mean, shit, Aaron Donald does it every week. Miles Garrett's going to be up there with him. Uh, I mean, for, for, for God's sakes, I don't know how he's at a 99 in my opinion, but I mean in Madden, but you know, we're not going to get into that bullshit. So then sliding into Pittsburgh, um, I'm actually going to be a little bit different and I'm going to say that Najee Harris has got to have a big year. The run game was a little bit lackluster last year for Pittsburgh with the inconsistencies of James Conner being hurt and the rotation of their backup running backs being a little up and down with Snell and the, and the, uh, the supporting cast there. And then I'm going to go with T.J. Watt on the other side of the ball. T.J. Watt showed out last year and showed that he can carry this defense to God knows what kind of success. I mean, Pittsburgh, for God's sake, started 11-0, and and a lot of that was due to their defense and Minka Fitzpatrick and the rest of those boys. So if the run game can be successful, the play action will be fine. The spread-out wide receiving core for the Pittsburgh Steelers can succeed, and then the defense can do what they need to do and get the ball back into Ben's hands. Now, for the Cincinnati Bengals, Obviously, Joe Burrow is the X Factor on one side, but I'm going to go instead of a defensive player because they don't necessarily have anybody on defense that can go out there and make a play, at least in my opinion. I know one of their safeties was rated like a 92 in Madden, but I'm not too familiar with him if I'm being honest and I, for whatever reason, can't remember his name, but I'm going to go with Joe Mixon. Joe Mixon was hurt for a lot of the plays last year. Joe Mixon didn't really have much help and Joe Mixon really could not get it going once Joe Burrow got hurt because for whatever reason... They kind of just packaged it down and they focused solely on the run game and they locked him down stacking eight or nine in the box to make sure that he could not get a rhythm going. We all know that Joe Mixon can be one of the better backs in this league, both out of the backfield and pass catching and in between the tackles running up the gaps and the seams. So Joe Burrow's got to stay upright. Like Kyle said, Joe Mixon's got to get it going. If the offense gets it going, they're probably going to have to compete shootout-wise because I don't see the Cincinnati defense necessarily stopping anybody, in my personal opinion. Once again, these are all opinion-based – um, I agree with Kyle in terms of record for the Bengals. I don't necessarily see them going over 500. I could definitely see them going 6-11. and 11. That would be my guess. Going upwards, I see Pittsburgh probably going 10-7. and seven. I would say that Cleveland repeats last year because of the success and the healthy uh, OBJ, Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt, and the rest of that offense showing out that they could go crazy uh, on the offensive side of the ball. I think that they go 12-5, and five, and then I say that Baltimore has a very big year and they go either 13 and four or maybe even 14 and three because Lamar Jackson is just that dynamic. I think J.K. Dalmans, like uh, Kyle said, is going to have a very big year. And I really, really think that uh, Hollywood Brown and the receivers that they drafted in this draft can make a difference. They're fast, they're big, they're tall. So we'll see if Lamar can hit those players in, in stride and make uh, that offense that much better.
0: I mean, it's going to be a competitive division for sure. It was one of the most competitive divisions that we had throughout the entire NFL last year. I mean, the top three teams were eleven and five or they better. I mean, they made the playoffs. And the Baltimore Ravens. I know they didn't win the division, but they ended the season on a five-game winning streak, and that was after kind of the so-so start that they had. So, I, I just, I'm banking on Baltimore here, just being a little bit better, because I don't think that Pittsburgh is going to have the start that they had last year. I mean, an 11 all start was fantastic. It's just they fell apart at the end of the season. And I think the Browns, they're a young team, but I think they're a team on the rise. And, you know, for me, I'm buying stock when it comes to the Cleveland Browns. They're definitely a team that I think is going to be competitive. Like I said, this is not the Browns from 10 to 15 years ago that was competing for the first pick in the draft. This team has had a massive culture change within the last two to three years, and they believe in Baker. Baker is by far the most critical piece to this team, but he's going to have to have the players around him step up. The offensive line's got to protect him. It's like you mentioned, Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt, OBJ, Jarvis Landry. All these guys got to step up. And then then defensively, you have one of the best cornerbacks in Greedy Williams. Greedy Williams is a solid corner for them. And as long as he stays healthy, I think defensively, the Browns are going to be a tough team to, to contend with. Uh, moving forward into this season, but I still, still going to pick up Baltimore here. But I think all three teams in Pittsburgh, Baltimore, and Cincinnati, not Cincinnati, Cleveland, are going to be vying for that top spot in the AFC North. Should make out for a fun season to watch in that division for sure.
1: No, absolutely. And you know, guys, we're going to make predictions for the rest of this off Training camp is officially in full motion for everybody. We're excited just to see, just just to see filmed, bro. To, to, to see videos from all teams on Twitter, on Instagram, on TikTok, of just practices being held, it it, it brings joy to my heart, man. It's such a welcome sight. The, it's the greatest sport in the world. I know a lot of people don't always agree with that, and I know people say that soccer is, or football, depending on where you come from, but for people that grew up in America and for people that just played the sport and they love the sport and know it, it's it truly is one of the most entertaining things to watch, not only because of the grueling action and constant, you know, like back and forth physically with other players. But I mean, the emotional aspect of the game and the success and the, and the shortness of the season, every game makes a difference. So football being back is huge. We do know that the Hall of Fame game's coming up within a couple of weeks. So to see preseason come alive is going to be pretty nice too, just to get a lot of players, uh, get some reps, get some older players in there, get some reps to make sure that they're on par with their new teams like Carson Wentz and a litany of other players. So um, other than that, guys, uh, I hope you guys enjoyed it. I don't really have anything left for the episode. Like we said, there's probably going to be a whole lot more of information that ends up dropping or news, should I say, when we go to bed. That's just usually how it works. Kyle and I always end up talking about it like, damn, what if something were to happen when we, like, lay down and go to sleep? And, like, obviously in our respective homes, it's like, we'll wake up and we'll text each other. It's like, bro, really? That couldn't have happened, like, an hour ago? I would have gotten up to record an extra segment. And it's just crazy. That it always happens. But we hope that the news that we're covering right now, it being broken within the last three hours, was enough for this episode to be, you know, not only good with content, but entertaining enough for you. So we're grateful for all help. We're at 209 subscribers. And we look forward to just continuing to break the barrier and get better every week.
0: I do want to mention the NBA draft is currently ongoing. And I just have to give, you know, a shout out to all the guys that got drafted tonight. You know, their NBA dreams are finally becoming realized. Absolutely. So, you know, I just, I wanted to give just a quick shout out to, you know, we're almost at the end of the first round. So maybe just a couple of picks are left, but I imagine it's got to be just, it's got to be absolutely amazing to get drafted to the NBA. Listen, there's only two rounds in the draft. So to be able to be picked one out of 64 players, it's not a, uh. It's not a very, uh, not a very big, not a big group to pick from. So that's, um, it's quite an accomplishment. And I'm really happy to just see those guys being able to live out their NBA dreams. You know, I just had to get, kind of give like a quick, you know, respect for that.
1: Absolutely. Hopefully my UNC boys get out there, get drafted. If not, they get signed and invited to Summer League. You know, it's, it's definitely a nice sight. When you see your favorite collegiate team have players that get drafted, thankfully, I am a loyal fan of the North Carolina Tar Heels since I was a little kid. So seeing players that come from the university get drafted is always heartfelt warming because you follow them all throughout their collegiate career, and then you follow them throughout their NBA career, and you just want them to succeed. You know, players that come to mind in in, in our generation, you know, like Danny Green winning three championships. Uh, Obviously, like Raymond Felton having success early on in his career and, you know, you just think of just so many other players. Of course, now that I have to think about it, there's just a lot of people I can't put my mind to it. Obviously, Cam Johnson, Kobe White recently, and, and so many others. So hopefully, you know, players at UNC get drafted tonight. And I'm pretty sure there's only one, I think it's Daron Sharp, that's uh, coming out of UNC tonight. And uh, Kendrick Perkins was kind of hyped on him. Hopefully he got drafted in the first round, if not whatever team he goes to. is going to get a great young player hustling on the rebound, uh, improving on the offensive game, and a good defensive presence down low, whether he plays the four or the five on whatever respective team he goes to. So, you know, shout-out to everybody, like Kyle said, that gets drafted and achieves their dream. Obviously, Cade Cunningham was the number one overall pick tonight for the Detroit Pistons, so we'll see if he can change that franchise around. And, uh, you know, to everybody else, good luck, and we hope nothing but the best for you
0: guys. For Sure. I couldn't have said it any better. Have you got anything else? No, nah, man, I'm good. I am ready for bed. <laughs> yes, sir. But, you know, just wanted to take the time to uh, thank you guys for tuning in to the episode. Uh, we just appreciate the support, whether we wherever we can get it from, whether it's from YouTube, whether it's from the streaming platforms like Spotify and Apple Podcasts. We definitely appreciate it. You know, any sort of support, you know, Kevin and I genuinely appreciate that. Um, the Olympics are still going on, so if anything pops up, I might drop a quick video about that over this weekend. So it's kind of stay tuned out for that. Um, We're kind of getting to the last couple home stretch. We're getting basically to the home stretch of major league baseball. we got two more months before the playoffs start. So that should definitely be fun. And the NFL is ramping up. So we'll definitely be talking about that. I imagine we're going to be talking about the AFC South predictions in our next episode, which will air next week. So definitely stay tuned out for that. Mm-hmm. I know Kevin's definitely going to have some, Points to hit on since that is his division, his Indianapolis Colts. Going to be fighting for that top spot with the Tennessee Colts, so that should definitely be a fun conversation for you guys to check out next week.
1: Tennessee Colts?
0: The Tennessee Titans, excuse me. Thanks. I'll smack you. Man, I, Man, I, it must be getting late. I'm freaking tripping up over listen, my words. Don't, don't don't, ever assault the
1: boys like that again.
0: I, listen, it was uh, – I, I didn't mean it. I didn't mean it, but – it's gonna be the Titans versus the Colts. It's gonna be a fun, it's to be a fun two-headed monster match when it comes to those two teams. So it's gonna be fun. Yeah, teams. right.
1: Julio, Julio Jones versus our uh, questionable secondary. It's gonna be phenomenal.
0: Yeah, but like I said, you guys, thank you guys for tuning in again, and we will see you guys next week.